Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You know, relatively speaking, we live fairly comfortable lives. But listen, that's not our objective. That's not our goal. We don't want to just go out and just on our own, just put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation just for the sake of doing that. But what we want to do is we want to be open to the Lord changing our circumstances and stirring up the nest, like I said, and, you know, maybe launching us into something that we didn't think about. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Acts, chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, in a message titled, Joy in the City. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, let's not make the mistake, not to undermine the importance of living a godly life, but just remember that just, you know, well, another, another quick example, another lady shared this with me this morning. She said, you know, I had a friend when I was young, and I saw that something changed in her life. There was something really different, and I was, I was curious about what that was. And she said, you know, it wasn't for seven years until she finally told me that what it was is that she had become a Christian. And she said, I was really upset. Why didn't you tell me this before? You see, because if we go on the idea that, well, you know, it's just going to be my life, that's not necessarily going to make the connection because you might just be a nice person. Or you might be, uh, for all people know, you're nice because you're a Buddhist or you're nice because you're a Muslim or you're nice, you know, you might even be a nice atheist. People aren't going to know that your life, your kindness, your grace, your love, that that's rooted in your faith in Jesus. You, you have to communicate that. So that's how the gospel gets spread. Secondly, let's look at how the gospel impacted lives then. And of course, the gospel impacts lives like this today. Now, the first thing, notice Philip preached Christ, multitudes with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse seven, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. You see, when the gospel goes out, lives are impacted. Things happen. And listen, make no mistake about it. People are held captive by the devil. That's a reality. And just like it was a reality there in Samaria. Now, I told you a little bit about the background of the Samaritans, about the paganism and all of that. As we go on and read the rest of the chapter, we're going to find that there was this man, Simon, in the city of Samaria, who was a sorcerer who had everybody kind of under his spell. And so as Philip comes, he's really coming, and through the gospel, the power of the devil is being broken. You see, it's the gospel that breaks the power of the devil over people's lives. And make no mistake about it, people's lives are messed up today, and one of the things that's contributing to that is the devil. Those demonic powers, sure, it's the sin that they're engaging in, but sometimes they're engaging in that sin because Satan has just bound them and they, they don't really have a way out. And they've tried to get out in some cases, but they can't. They're held captive 
doing the devil's will. The gospel breaks that. Later on in the book of Acts, as, as you know, Saul gets converted, he becomes Paul. And very much later in the story, when he's actually arrested for preaching the gospel and he's standing before King Agrippa and he's explained to him, to Agrippa, what happened to himself, he tells the story of how he met Christ on the road to Damascus and how Jesus said this to him. He said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. And that's what the gospel does. Paul, in writing to the Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God. It breaks the power of the devil. That's what happens. The gospel sets us free from the bondage that Satan puts people in and liberates us. And then we read here, there's healing that takes place. And listen, healings still take place. Physical healings still take place. God knows when to heal. He's sovereign. And, and, and yet when the gospel goes forth, Many times, God brings a healing. And of course, the, the overall description that we're having here is really the description of salvation is coming to Samaria. That's what's happening. People are getting saved through the gospel. The gospel is saving them and in the process, healing them, in the process, delivering them from the work of the devil in their lives. And, and as we look around us in our world today, I mean, how many of you just think that the world has gone totally crazy? Anybody think that here? <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's like, wow, people think that today. And they not only think it, they believe it, and they're going to insist that you believe it too. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff today. But you look at the things that people are into, and you look at the captivity that they're held in. How is that going to be dealt with? Well, listen, it's only going to be dealt with through something more powerful than these other forces, and that's the gospel. But when the gospel comes and brings salvation, it brings a tremendous change. It impacts people's lives. And then, thirdly, look at what happens. The gospel transformed the city. Look at the, the eighth verse. And there was great joy in that city. Now, I am willing to bet that for hundreds of years, there had not been great joy in the city of Samaria. I mean, when you look at their, their history, when you look at the fact that they were you know, conquered by various nations, they were subjugated by this Jewish group at a, at a time, uh, you know, this life was not good in Samaria. Remember the woman at the well. Remember she had been married five times and the person she was living with was, was not her husband. So what's that an indication of? That's an indication of, man, I can't find anything to fulfill me. I can't find anything to make me happy. So I am willing to bet that th there had not been any joy in that city, maybe ever. But here's the report now. And there was great joy in that city. You see, the gospel produces joy. And joy is contagious. You know, when a person gets saved, and I want some of you to think with me back to your initial conversion. Think about what happened. 
how you came out of darkness into light, how you were set free from the power of Satan and brought under the, the grace of God. And remember how, how joyful you were. You're so excited. My sins are forgiven. I know that I've got a place with God eternally in heaven. Uh, I can trust the Lord now. He's got a plan for my life. He takes me. All of those things produce joy. And what happened from that? That joy spread. It was contagious. You started telling other people. But what happens to us? How is it that, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years go by, and all of those things are still true, but what happened to the joy? How come we're not as excited about that as we used to be? Have we become too sophisticated where we think, oh, well, you know, when you're a young Christian, you believe, kind of believe all that stuff, but now we know better. You know, life is tough, and yeah, life is tough, but God is still God, and he's good. And the reality of who he is and all that he's done for us and all that he's planned for us for the future, that ought to fill our hearts with joy. And if our hearts are filled with joy, that's going to spread. That's going to be contagious. Now, we're talking here about the city of Samaria. And I want to talk for a minute about cities. Um, because the, the thing to think about here that I want us to think about is cities are often marked by an absence of joy. That's true today just like it was back then. Because in cities, and I'm talking about large cities, major cities, it's not limited to that, obviously. But you know, when you think about large cities, they are often marked by a higher percentage of alcohol and drug abuse, violence, crime, homelessness, depression, loneliness, suicide. I mean, that, that's the reality of life in a, in a large city. When I lived in London, I met more people in London that had had nervous breakdowns than I ever have met in, in my entire life anywhere else. Because life is hard. It is difficult. It is challenging. More lonely people, more suicidal people. Uh, that's the reality. But here's the good news. The good news is that the gospel is, that's what it's for. It's for that very thing. Now, cities... There was a time, it's, it's kind of changed recently, but there, there was a time back some years ago, a few decades back, when Christians, I'm going to talk primarily about Christians, when Christians fled the cities. Christians didn't want to be in the cities. Why? Because they're full of crime, because they're full of you know, drug abuse and violence and homelessness and, and all of that. So the Christians fled to the suburbs. And the cities were left sort of abandoned. Now, there's been a, a, a bit of a reversal with that, which I think is really, really great. The generation of my kids, 20s and 30s, they have gravitated toward the cities. They want to go to the cities with the gospel. They, they look at all of that stuff and say, yeah, that's all bad, but that's what the gospel's for. And that's right. That's true. But what we need to understand is that the, the move in the world is towards cities. 54% of the world's population live in cities today. Within 30 years, they say 66% of the world's population will live in cities. Now, what do you get in cities? You get crowded situations. That's why you get like a proliferation of people, which is a proliferation of sinners, which is a proliferation of sin. But that's also what the gospel is meant for. <laughs> the, that the gospel is for sinners. And so we want to go where the sinners are. 
But remember, sometimes our comfort says, no, 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 let's just stay away from there because of those things. But we have to remember that God's heart is for people. And so we want to be aware of where the people are. And we want to consider going there, help people get there, knowing the potential in the city for the spread of the gospel is great. So we're talking about a bunch of things today. I realize that. But let's not forget that we're talking about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're talking about we, we, it's us. In this generation, we're the ones responsible. We have to get out there. We have to get the gospel to these places. And, and just like Philip, it was uncomfortable for Philip. Philip's Jewish. The Samaritans and the Jews, they don't, they don't get along. But you know, for whatever reason, Philip says, I'm going to Samaria. And he goes and he preaches. And there's a great work of God's spirit that takes place there. And so I'm, in a sense, I'm saying this. I want to challenge some of you, and especially those of you that are younger, maybe in your 20s or 30s or 40s, to think about this, to, to realize that God might want to do something through you in a city. Because all it takes is for one life to get changed. One person to get set free from sin and oppression, for one person to get healed, and, and you know, as, the, as they're filled with joy and they start to just naturally talk about what's happened, that can just create a chain reaction. It's, it's the potential is there in these cities. And so we want to, to recognize that and, and understand that this is, you know, this is part of what all of this is about being, being Christians. You know, becoming a Christian is not simply just to settle into the good life, the comfortable life, the, to live out the American dream. The Lord intends to get the gospel to all people. And so he hasn't called us to settle into complacency. Now, I'm not saying that we can't live a comfortable life. I mean, you know, living in Orange County, you kind of do live a comfortable life for the most part, not diminishing that people do have problems. Of course they do. But, you know, relatively speaking, we live fairly comfortable lives. But listen, that's not our objective. That's not our goal. We don't want to just go out and just on our own, just put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation just for the sake of doing that. But what we want to do is we want to be open to the Lord changing our circumstances and stirring up the nest, like I said, and, you know, maybe launching us into something that we didn't think about something that we weren't really preparing for or something, you know, maybe we weren't preparing for it, but God was preparing us for it. So the point here is this. God has not called us to settle down and live comfortable lives. He's called us to live missional lives. And a missional life is basically seeing yourself as you're on a mission 24-7. That's what I am. I'm on mission 24-7. That's what it is to be missional. So wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, and I'm saying I here as, you know, plurally including us. <laughs> not telling you what I, I am doing. But I am hopefully doing this. I, I, I want to live missionally. I want to live my life for what God has. And if we all are living that way, 
the potential for the gospel to advance increases dramatically. And as God sends us into cities, or, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a city. Obviously, God loves everybody everywhere, right? So it could be a village. Sometimes people go to villages, little tiny villages. It doesn't matter. The, the point is that where the gospel hasn't gone, that's where it needs to go. And sometimes we overlook the place right in front of us like a big city because we think, oh, they've got plenty of churches, they've got this and that. But the reality is they don't, they don't have the gospel. So we want to live missionally, meaning that, Lord, here I am. I'm ready for you to interrupt me. I'm ready for you to interfere with my plans and my life and do what you want to do. If you want to send me in a new direction, if you want to send me to a new location, if you want to ship me across the planet, Lord, here I am. I'm available. That's how these guys were. That's how Philip was. Uncomfortable as it was, Philip goes to Samaria. And what does he find? Lo and behold, a completely receptive group of people who are just amazed at the gospel that he's preaching and they receive it and there is great joy in the city. So in closing, I have mentioned the gospel several times over in this message. So just really quickly, what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is Christ, God's son, came into the world. He died because I'm a sinner. He died in my place. He bore my sin. He paid the penalty for my breaking of God's law. And then he rose from the dead. And that resurrection from the dead shows that the price he paid was accepted. God raised him from the dead to say, I accepted that payment for the sins of the world. He raised him from the dead. And now for anyone who believes that, they are given a new life. Sins are forgiven. The spirit of God takes up residence in us. We become the children of God, the servants of God, the heirs of God. That, that's the gospel. And, and that simple message, listen, as I close, that simple message has the power to forever change a life in the most dramatic way. That simple message. And let's not forget that. It's the message. It's the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. Paul understood this, that the life of God is in the seed of the gospel. You see, sometimes we think, oh, God, the message is so simple. What I'm just going to tell this person to believe in Jesus and everything's going to be okay. You know what? Yes, you can tell them that. Because the Jesus you're telling them about is alive. The words that you're speaking to them are words of life. And those words will come into a person's life and they will produce the life of God. That's what being a Christian is, having the life of God produced in your life through the gospel, through that work of God's spirit. So just remember the, the simple gospel. And of course, there's the simple gospel story of Jesus dying and rising again, but then there's the other component that's connected to your life, so you can tell your story. This is how the gospel worked in my life, and that's always so attractive and fascinating to people, 
to hear like, wow, really that happened to you? That's amazing. And as you tell them, but, but I just want to say this in closing, Philip preached Christ. I think as Christians today, especially in America, we can get so distracted and end up sometimes preaching all kinds of things that aren't Christ. We can get caught up in, in the political thing. We can get caught up in social issues. And, and we end up, you know, preaching things like that. Have you ever preached to somebody that they shouldn't use bad words? Have you ever preached to somebody that, hey, you know, you should stop smoking? Ever preach to somebody like, hey, you know, you better not go out for that drink? You know what? That's not preaching Christ. That's preaching something else. It's basically preaching a morality. So let's just say, for argument's sake, that that person says, you're right. I shouldn't smoke anymore. It's killing me. No, I, I don't want to drink. I'm probably going to get in a car accident. So thank you. You, you know, you saved me there. Or, you know, I, I'm not going to go do this or that. Great. Okay. So what, what's the end result? Well, you just got a sinner who's still got the same destination, but they just kind of cleaned up their life on the way to hell. <laughs> I mean, that's really what you end up with. That's why we don't preach those things. Or that's why we shouldn't preach those things. Let's preach Christ, because guess what? When people come to Christ, he changes them. And they start to think differently. And they start to act differently. I've told this story before, but years and years ago, there was some bad thing that happened um, with some public figure. And I remember Cheryl saying to me, Cheryl's my wife, for those of you who don't know, who was raised in a Christian home from the time she was born. And this was a very, you know, to her, a very disgusting thing. And she says, I don't know how anybody could even think like that. And I said, oh, I do. Because that's exactly how I used to think. But when I used to think that way, if somebody would have come along and said, hey, you shouldn't think that way, I would have said, get lost. What do you know? I don't care what you think. But what happened? I, I changed. I agreed with her. That was disgusting. How did that happen? That happened because Jesus. You see, because Christ was preached to me. And I received Christ. And guess what he did? He changed my heart. And he changed my mind. And that's what he does. So let's keep that in mind, too. We want to preach Christ. That's, that's our mission. Other people can preach other things. Let them. God bless them. Go for it. Preach that stuff. But let us be known, first and foremost, for preaching Christ. And let's not confuse conservatism or those kinds of things. Let's not confuse that with Christ, because they're different things. Philip went and preached Christ to them. And that's... Join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. So one of my favorite books over the past couple years was a book called Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. Fantastic book. Well, she has made sort of a children's version of the book. It's called 10 Questions Every Teen 
should ask and answer about Christianity. She did such an amazing job with the Confronting Christianity book. It was actually the book of the year. I know that this one is excellent as well. So I want to encourage you, especially if you have teenage children, to pick it up for them, read it along with them. If you are a school teacher, you interact with young people and you want to know how to help them, this will be a tremendous resource. So 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin, my recommendation for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 10 Questions Every Teen Should Ask and Answer About Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to help you equip the next generation to wrestle with the challenges raised against Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.